welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. A stunning development in the case of Donald Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. A deal breaker, you can say. The special counsel says that Manafort committed federal crimes by lying to the FBI and the special counsel, and his cooperation deal is done. Manafort's attorneys say he has been truthful. Joining us is Robert Mintz, a former federal prosecutor and a partner at McCarter and English. Bob, let's start with just how unusual this is, telling the truth essential to any cooperation deal. When you were a federal prosecutor, did you ever have a cooperating witness lie to you like this? Well, it's exceedingly rare to have the deal blow up at this point, because the way these deals are structured, it's not as if there's simply an agreement to come in and tell the truth. They enter the cooperating deal, and then they begin to debrief Mr. Manafort. What happened instead here is that Manafort gave what are called proffers to the government, where he came in and essentially told them what he would say in advance of the deal, so the prosecutors could be certain that what he was going to tell them was, was consistent with the truth as they knew it based upon our other evidence they have. So to have this deal blow up at this juncture is exceedingly rare. So what does this mean for the investigation going forward? Well, it's, it's hard to say. It means that they have concluded that Manafort has materially lied to them repeatedly to the point that they can no longer use him as a witness. Uh, they've now publicly stated that he's lied. They have retracted the cooperating deal, and any kind of leniency that he was expecting to get from the government is now off the table. They may have already gotten valuable information from him. They may have gotten leads from him. All the information that he's given them, they can use. What they can't use is him as a witness to testify at some point in the future. So, Bob, Manafort was convicted of eight counts of tax evasion and bank fraud in August. In September, he pleaded guilty to two counts, two new counts, and admitted his guilt to 10 counts outstanding from the earlier trial. So where does that leave him when Mueller says there's no deal here? Well, it leaves him in a very... Uh, disadvantageous position. Uh, lawyers who represent cooperating witnesses hate to see this kind of an outcome here because what you do when you enter this deal is you give up everything. The prosecutors keep everything. So he's entered his guilty plea. Those cannot be retracted. All the deal components, such as the government agreeing not to prosecute him for certain other charges, are now off the table. But yet everything he's pled guilty to is still on the table. So he is in the same situation he was before he entered this deal except that it's even worse because he will not get any leniency from the government, no downward departure, and prosecutors can go back and prosecute him for the counts of conviction uh, that were never uh, unanimously agreed upon in the Virginia case, and they can charge him with other crimes in connection with the District of Columbia case. So he could likely spend and will likely spend the rest of his life in jail as a result of this plea deal going, going south. And we know that Mueller plays hardball. You can ask George Papadopoulos, who went to prison the other day. But so that leaves the question. We know that there was a report that a former lawyer for Trump had broached the prospect of a pardon with one of Manafort's lawyers last year. So is Manafort counting perhaps on a pardon? 
Well, that's really his only way out. It's hard to say whether he's counting on that or not, but it didn't make a lot of sense for him to go down the road he went down and then at this point try to get a pardon from the president. But short of any pardon, uh, he is almost certainly going to spend the rest of his life in jail because he's going to get no leniency from the government, and the government may well charge him with additional crimes. People are saying that this is a setback to Mueller's investigation, but if he, it seems like he already knew the answers if he says that Manafort is lying. So do we know really how much of a setback this is? Also, Manafort might not make such a credible witness in any case. Well, that's right, June. And people are speculating uh, a lot about what Mueller's team knows and what they don't know. And the truth is that nobody but Mueller's team really knows what information they have. What they did have was enough evidence to know when Manafort was lying to them. And generally, when you uh, are representing um, defendants who are dealing with the government, you have to tell them that assume the government knows everything, because they're talking with other people. They're talking to people who you may not know they're talking to. They're looking at documents that you may not have access access to. They're looking at documents that you may never have seen before in your life, but they have those documents. So if you lie to them, they're likely to catch you. And that's exactly what happened with Paul Manafort. And I should also point out, this is not a decision that Mueller's team came to lightly. Uh, Having this deal blow up was not something that Mueller and his team wanted. He was a critical witness, and they no doubt wanted to keep him on the team. But at some point, if he lies to you repeatedly, they have no choice but to end the deal. And that's what happened here. We may actually learn a lot from this because, as we know in the past, we've learned a lot from indictments that Mueller has filed against people. He gives a lot of information about what they know. And in the filing voiding this agreement, the team, Mueller's team, said there would be extensive information on Manafort's lies before he's sentenced. So will we expect to see hints of what's to come there? Well, we will get some hints because the defense is going to say to the judge, Judge, we lived up to our deal. We told the truth as we knew it. Prosecutors didn't like what we had to say, and therefore he should not be charged with breaching the agreement. But the government would not have gone down this road if they did not have hard evidence that Manafort was lying to them. Now, we should also point out that they don't have to show their hand in all respects. In other words, they don't have to show every lie that Manafort told them. They just have to show the, the judge that he lied on a number of material points, and that will be enough to blow up the deal. So I think Mueller's team will show their hand to some extent, because they have to. They have to prove to the judge that Manafort lied to them, but they don't have to show the judge that he lied to them in every single respect, and no doubt they're going to keep a lot of that information out of the public eye, and we'll only find out about that later down the road when Mueller ultimately delivers his final report. All right, so then it's up to the judge. Just a yes or no here. It's up to the judge finally to decide whether the deal is done. It's ultimately up to the judge to make that decision, but it's unlikely that the judge is not going to side with the government here because the judge is not going to get into a mini-trial determining the credibility of Paul Manafort. The government will be able to show hard facts that he lied, is what I expect. Thanks, Bob. As always, that's Robert Mintz, a partner at McCarter in English. comment on the methane, but thank you, Greg. We're live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. President Trump has not only been trying to shape the federal judiciary, he's also been waging a war of words on the judiciary with his criticism of a judge who was Mexican in May of 2016 to his criticism of the Ninth Circuit last week, calling a judge in the district court an Obama judge.
something Chief Justice John Roberts pushed back on in a rare reaction. Is Trump testing the boundaries of his power and the separation of powers? Joining me is Harold Krent, Dean of the Chicago Kent College of Law and author of the book, Presidential Powers. Harold, presidents before Trump have complained about the courts and tried to test the boundaries. Is he any different? Uh, of course he's different. I mean, he has challenged the legitimacy of the district court judge that you mentioned, judges uh, before him, and so he's having a war on what he thinks are judges who are against him. I mean, what he must realize, though, is that in some of the more recent rulings, it's the Trump judges, so to speak, who have gone against him in the CNN Acosta case and in a bunch of others. So it's really... It's going to be his fight against the judiciary, not merely against uh, judges who were appointed by Democrats. Now, of course, Obama famously had the stare down with the judges about Citizens United. Uh, FDR famously tried to pack the court because he believed that the New Deal was imperiled. So this isn't entirely new, but it's the dismissiveness that he manifests about the rule of law and judging that is somewhat startling. The normally restrained Roberts pushed back with the defense of the independence of the judiciary and something he also stressed in a speech at the University of Minnesota after the contentious confirmation battle of Brett Kavanaugh. What is at stake for him and the court? Chief Justice Roberts has has indicated a strong attachment to the independence of the court um, as a critical institution in our republic. And he is with resisting any kind of notion that conservative judges should vote as a block or that conservative judges should follow the lead of the uh, Trump administration. So for another example, he was the only amongst of the five conservative judges who refused to go to the Federalist um, Convention uh, recently, where they were celebrating uh, Justice Kavanaugh and others. And I think he did that specifically to make a point. The point is that, as he put it differently in the quote that you had, is that that judges are trying to, he would say, call balls and strikes. Um, others would say make policy. But no matter what you how you term it, they're trying to be independent as the best they can to understand how to apply the law, not to try to follow a particular political ideology. Last Friday, the Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to fast-track a ruling on the policy of restricting military service by transgender people. That's the fourth time recently that the administration has tried to bypass the circuit court level, go straight to the Supreme Court. What does that departure from the normal normal course of appellate procedure tell you? There's only been a handful of cases that the Supreme Court has taken before the court percolate, before the case percolates in front of the courts of appeals, and the Justice Department, strangely, in my mind, is signaling dissatisfaction with the Ninth Circuit in particular. I'm trying to say that it doesn't trust those courts. The only court it's going to trust is the Supreme Court, and obviously there is an element of truth um, in that view. But there's a risk there, and the risk is that. Bec- because of what the Justice Department is doing, even the Supreme Court or just Chief Justice Roberts, as we discussed, may slap them on the wrist by saying, no, no, let's follow proper procedure. Let's wait your time. The Supreme Court did take part of one of those cases involving the census um, before the issue 
went to the Court of Appeals, but the census case is really about a small um, part of it, about to what extent you can probe the thought processes of the Secretary of Commerce, and it did not relate to the question about the census at all, and that trial will continue. So overall, even though they've asked four times, uh, so far, they've only received permission to go to the high court on a, a part of one of them. And I think Chief Justice Roberts, at least, and some others will be very reluctant to allow the Trump administration to come whenever it wants and go immediately into the Supreme Court and not follow the proper procedural path. Also last Friday, a judge ruled that a lawsuit by the New York State AG against Trump and the Trump Foundation could go forward. The Trump lawyers had argued that the court didn't have jurisdiction over him, and the judge said she did have jurisdiction over him. Tell us about the jurisdictional issue and what the court found. So the question is whether a president can be named in a civil lawsuit in a state court or whether the presidential immunities, such as they are, would preclude that suit from going forward during the pendency of the presidency. Most people don't remember, but President John F. Kennedy was sued when he was in office for a car crash that took place during the election um, cycle. It was a little bit of a staged um, lawsuit, but nonetheless, he he had to defend it. He did, and he settled the case out of court. And of course, President Clinton had to defend the um, lawsuit by Paula Jones when he was uh, in a president. So the president does suggest that a president is not immune from a civil suit. Uh, There is distraction, and I think that the courts would stop at the line of subpoenaing the president to to give testimony. Uh, But nonetheless, the lawsuit can go forward, and the New York Attorney General's lawsuit against the Trump Foundation uh, will go forward, uh, whatever its merits may be. Just to be clear, we have about a minute here. President Clinton agreed to a deposition, as we well know, but you're saying that you don't think that the courts would enforce a subpoena for a deposition of Trump? Um, It's possible. I think that's a line that we don't have a clear ruling on, Um, and so that remains to be seen. I would be uh, somewhat surprised if the court went that far to order the sitting president to have a deposition in a civil lawsuit that really is not germane to any kind of national security issue. Um, But I may be wrong and that we may be heading for that. All right. Thank you so much for your insights, Harold. That's Harold Krent. He's dean of the Chicago-Kent College of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.